time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, cause it's on now. The Tom Sumner program. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into Hour 2 of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guests this hour are the co-authors of a book that looks at seeing, understanding, and ending U.S. poverty called Broke in America. They are print and radio journalist and activist Colleen Shaddix and uh, CEO and founder of the National Diaper Bank Network, Joanne Goldblum. They join me now by phone. Uh, Colleen, Joanne, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Um, How did the two of you get together to co-author this book? So Um, I can jump in. Um, This is... Okay. Go ahead, Joanne. You go first. I, I, sorry, I think we have a little feedback. Um, so we met originally when um, I had founded the New Haven Diaper Bank, which is now the Diaper Bank of Connecticut. And Colleen had a good friend who was helping, um, was volunteering with us, and we were looking for someone to do a little bit of graphic design work. And... Um, I think that uh, Colleen and her husband very graciously agreed to do one small thing for us, and that turned into a uh, 17-year friendship and partnership. And and Colleen, um, what... How did you get attracted to this notion of... um, trying to end poverty? 
because I, I grew up experiencing it, and because in my work as a journalist, I was very passionate about covering social justice issues. And what I saw over and over again were people being put in no-win situations, not people personally failing, not people who didn't work hard enough, people who really had the deck stacked against them. And when I met Joanne, Joanne got that. Joanne's career has been all about getting people the resources that they need to thrive. And when you look at most anti-poverty programs, they tend to want to fix the person in poverty. The person in poverty is not a problem. Poverty is a problem. Um, and I think that the great exciting thing about the book for both of us was that when we did this deep dive and interviewed people all over the country, we saw that we were right, that poverty doesn't have to exist in the United States. We can change policy and we can make it better. That's the message of the book. You can make it better, no matter who you are. Joanne, is the path to making it better small steps? Um, no. Um, <laughs> I think that, I mean, I think that there are small steps involved, but the path to making it better is closing the gap between how much money people have and how much money people need to be able to function in our society. And there are different ways to do that. Um, you know, it can be done by raising the wage, right? Many U.S. Americans work full-time and more and are still living in poverty. And, and that's just backwards. So that, that's one easy thing we could do. Another thing we could do is something like universal basic income. And there are lots of different, you know, sort of um, strategies to how you work something like that. But that, that's huge. And, and for example, you know, President Biden has introduced the idea of um, having every, you know, a child tax, a child um credit, which would be actual cash going monthly to families to support their children, two or $300 a month. You know, there's lots of evidence that shows that would cut childhood poverty by 50%, $3,600 a year to families. You know, so those are things we can do. And, and they're not, they're, they're, they may be simple but they're not they're not small if that makes sense yeah i just um am impressed by uh your work with the national diaper bank network and i i know when uh, the diaper bank opened up in our area it seemed like like an important but but small thing in the grand scheme of poverty when you think about food clothing and shelter and i, I just um and and that's why I was saying is it is it these kinds of initiatives that get things to people that need them that chips away at so the, you're right um Tom and I'm sorry because my answer to what you asked should have been yes 
my tagline is small things impact big things. And I guess I didn't quite understand um, the question, but yes, absolutely. Diapers, period products, cleaning supplies, you know, those are the things people need. Um, You know, broadly speaking, they need money to get those things. But those are the things we're talking about. It's, um, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of understanding U.S. poverty, especially under the cloud of a pandemic and and what that's done to to people's awareness um but we have a break coming up here in about a minute i don't i don't want to dig into something that we're going to talk about for a little while can you can you both stick around for a while so we can talk some more we're here absolutely thank you great um for those of you who are uh Listening to us on uh, WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. My guests this hour are Joanne Goldblum and Colleen Shaddix, the co-authors of a book called Broke in America, Seeing, Understanding, and Ending U.S. Poverty. And uh, we're going to we're going to see a little bit more about that and see how much we can uh, come to an understanding about what needs to be done to end. We'll be back. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. As we learn more and more about COVID-19 and how it affects Well, welcome to live radio, folks. I uh, was following the cues on the clock and uh, jumped the gun um, because of some because of a programming glitch. Um, actually, we have a few minutes before we uh, before we have to go to the first break. And my guests are the uh, co-authors of Broke in America, Joanne Goldblum and Colleen Shaddix. My apologies, uh, Joanne, Colleen. Um, no problem. Let's let's. Problem. We have a few minutes uh, until the break, so let's talk about what we understand about U.S. poverty and how the pandemic might cast a shadow over poverty for some people to believe that maybe somehow it's temporary and that it all gets better after the pandemic. Well, you know, I think what the pandemic really did was it exposed the fault lines in our economy, right? So many Americans had no savings. And savings are great to get you over a bump in the road, like a you know temporary loss of your job. But because the cost of living has not kept up with wages for decades, even people who were not technically in poverty, were kind of on the edge and got pushed over the edge. I think what the pandemic shows is not that poverty is temporary, but that poverty is kind of the wolf is at the door for many, many people. 
in this country. And we need to start investing in better policies that make us all more secure. Colleen, did you want to add anything to that? That was Colleen. That was Colleen. Sorry, we should identify. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> um, I, I thought that was Joanne talking. Joanne, did okay. you, do you want to weigh in? Sure. Um, you know, I think certainly everything Colleen um, said is true. I think one thing that's been very, very interesting and sort of emblematic of the way that Americans think about poverty is that during COVID, there's been a very significant focus on material basic needs. And there's been a lot of um, real generosity among, um, you know, our fellow Americans to support um, people's material basic needs. But what's so interesting about that is it goes to the heart of the issue that we have of the deserving and undeserving poor. You know, so much of the narrative around the poverty that has sprung from COVID is that people didn't do anything to deserve it. As though people who were in poverty prior to COVID somehow did do something to deserve it. When you talk about trying to level economic disparity there are a lot of people interested in that um but it 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 seems like a a, a tough road um is it or are the solutions easier than we make them yeah i think what we lack is will and that's why we spend a lot of the book trying to create will, frankly, showing why poverty happens in the United States, not because of personal failures, but because we've, we've got a system set up that isn't really fair. Once we created that will, we can do something. You know, poverty to me is very much the way climate change was a decade ago. Well-informed people know it's a problem, but they sort of throw their hands up and say, well, it's, it's too big for me to think about. It's too big for me to deal with. Well, we have to think about it, and we have to deal with it. And the solutions are fairly straightforward. Once you accept that poverty is, is a lack of resources, period, you just need to get some resources to the people who need them most. It's a big job, but it's not really a complicated job. What? What happened to wealthy people contributing to make their communities better? I mean, I know there's still philanthropy, but there used to be an attitude of, if I'm doing okay, everybody's doing okay. You know, that's, it's, a, it's really interesting because I do think that <clears throat> there's a great deal of generosity and a great deal of concern among, you know, our neighbors. But I, I think the problem is that the, the problem of poverty in the United States is so large, the only entity that can address it is the federal government. Well, you know, I've got, I've got to put a comma of, there. We shouldn't. I've got to put a comma there because we really do have to go to break now. Um, 
Joanne and Colleen will be back with more right after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through Tom it. Summer. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're talking with the uh, co-authors of a book called Broke in America. They are Colleen Shaddix and Joanne Goldblum. Uh, Joanne, Colleen, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and uh, sorry to make you sit through that. No, no problem. No problem. Tom, can I just say something to follow up on the last thing we were talking about? Absolutely. Let's pick it up right there. You know, there. We're, we're, we're talking about wealthy people helping out. And, of course, that's good, right? Yeah, well, I was, I I was remembering a time. I am not a wealthy person. I was remembering a time when, you know, uh, businesses big and small that existed in a community um, were actively involved in making that community as nice a place to live, work, raise families as it could possibly be. And somewhere along the line, Mm -hmm. that was taken over by foundations, and and there wasn't that sense of, you know, I I live here, and if I do well, everybody does well. Well, there's a couple of things that have gone wrong with that. One is there's not a lot of local ownership of companies anymore. Fair point. And I know local nonprofits that used to rely on, you know, this company to sponsor their annual road race or whatever. Sure. They're kind of on the outside looking in because that's not happening. But I would also say that there's a big difference between neighborly kindness and justice. You know, Everybody who can should certainly give time and money to help their neighbors in need. But ultimately, we know that most people in poverty in the United States are working. So to me, that's a question of justice. If you go to work, you put in your time, you do your best, you should come home with enough to take care of your family. And you don't now. Is it as simple more and as more Americans just don't? Is it as simple as what we hear and from it, from uh, political candidates that uh, you know that that taxing the wealthy is uh, is really the solution? So, if I could, this is this is Joanne, and I think yeah, there are a couple things. One is, I I think that I think that many corporations do give back. Um, you know, for example, for the National Diaper Bank Network, our founding sponsor is Huggies. They're incredibly generous, but it's a three, you know, solving problems is a three-legged stool. We've got philanthropy and we've got corporate. We need government, you know, because it, the fact is, as Colleen is saying, it is, we, we should live in a country that is just. We should live in a country where everybody has their basic needs, given that we have more 
than enough money. Um, and as for taxing the rich, I'm all for it. The issue is we need to change the way that our federal dollars are spent as well. Because if we were just to begin to tax people at a higher rate, but didn't change what we thought was important, you know, it wouldn't help people. It would, you know, it would just make it so the wealthy had less to give to nonprofits who still would be in the position of having to meet the needs of um, their neighbors who, who were in need. Well, uh, you know, because of the uh, pandemic, um, President uh, Biden has been uh, pushing uh, his uh, COVID relief package, which calls for $1.9 um, trillion in spending. And mm-hmm. it looks like that's going to happen, that's going to go through, and there's certainly a need mm-hmm. for you know, money for vaccines and for hospitals and, of course, money for individuals that are struggling because they're not working. Um, All of those things are important. But for the first time since World War II, the national debt is larger than the GDP. And that's a a concerning thought. And then to spend $1.9 trillion, my concern is, and Joanne, you kind of touched on this, is do we have a Congress that's disciplined enough to make the cuts necessary going forward to bring that debt in line? So I I think there are really a few different answers to that. And one is it has to do with our priorities. And if our priorities are to take care of people who need it, then we could change how we spend other money as a country. You know, and I I also think that while it is important, of course, to deal with the national debt, it it rose so, so much over the last four years because of so many policies that favored the wealthy. And we can't just say, well, it rose too much because we favored the wealthy, so we're not going to step in and help the poor. That's um, Yeah, over the pandemic... Yeah, go ahead, Colleen. I'm sorry, I was just going to add that over the pandemic, um, the wealth of billionaires in this country increased by $1.1 trillion. So... You know, the nation isn't in such dire financial straits, just parts of it. Um, there are people who can pay more taxes. Mm-hmm. And But again, it's, and, and I think it was Colleen who said earlier, it's a matter of will. How do we, mm-hmm. how do we change the will of... Um, our elected uh, representatives, who many would argue belong to the people that made all that money. Right. So we believe that the way you change it is by humanizing 
poverty in the United States. And, and that's what we tried to do in our book. Um, you know, for example, you know, you're, you're in Flint, right? And everybody knows about the water crisis in Flint. It's, it's right. um, you know, being covered extensively. You know, in our book, we talk about the fact that Flint is far and away not the only place that has these issues. Um, you know, but as a country, we very much tend to think of water as a developing country issue, except for Flint, right? But that's just not true. And so it, it's the reason that we were so committed to interviewing people all over the country, because we really feel in a review of, you know, sort of what's out there related to poverty in the United States, it tends to be, you know, there's a problem here, we're going to follow one family, or we're going to look at one city. And we really wanted people to see that it's not one place, or one family or one kind of person. It's all over. Well, it's like infrastructure. A bridge falls down, we rebuild the bridge, but do we check mm -hmm. all the other bridges? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think one thing that we're really trying to get across is we have these things that we believe as a nation that are really important to us, like... If you work hard, if you do the right thing, you can get ahead. That's what America is about, right? It's, there's access for everybody to a better life. Um, we spent a lot of time in a small town in Texas, very poor town. And um, I had the privilege of sitting down with two young men who were both outstanding students who had both gotten free rides to a university, to very good universities. Neither of them were going. One was going to go to community college locally because he was helping to support his family, which is not at all unusual for low-income teenagers. Um, the other got his financial aid withdrawn because his father was being audited. His father was a waiter. You know, <laughs> what the IRS might have been able to squeeze out of that guy, I have no idea. Um, but the kid just, he lost his shot. He lost his shot. And those are two young men who were doing absolutely everything right. They were hardworking. They were responsible. They were smart. They were doing their best. But because of poverty, their best wasn't good enough to get them to a better life. That's not right. And I think that most people know that. I think most people would say that. But I don't think we hear these stories enough. I think these stories get buried. And, and when we do cover poverty, it tends to be in a really stereotypical way you know we met person after person just doing heroic stuff to keep their families together and it still wasn't enough and i don't think that that's the america most of us want the the thing i uh, am am constantly concerned about and you, you mentioned the uh the billionaires that have actually been um 
improving their financial positions throughout this pandemic while a lot of people are struggling even to to put food on the table um is this idea that things are changing um in a way that it that it won't be enough i'm not sure if if just doing the right thing and working hard was ever enough by itself to live the american dream or if the american dream was ever real but it's certainly less real now than it's ever been before mm. and i think it's it's likely to get worse because of technology and automation um, Andrew Yang, before he ran for president, or when he started running for president, wrote a book called the, uh, um, what was it, the uh, the war on, um, I can't remember what it was, but it was the first time that I heard somebody uh, introduce the idea of a UBI, a universal uh, basic income. Mm. And he was talking about mm-hmm. because of technology, a lot of jobs that used to be available that that paid living wages are going to be gone and there may not be enough jobs for people when do you think we need based on on the research that went into your book broken america that that we need to seriously reconsider the way the american economy is set up absolutely um, I think that there's no doubt. I, I think mean, the UBI that, is one proposal. Yes. Right. And yes, technology will continue to make things worse. But I think that what's really important is that it, it's, you know, if you, people have always been struggling. It is not just because of technology. And again, that goes to this idea of the deserving and undeserving. You know, these were people who had jobs and lost them or had skills and lost them. You know, we're perfectly comfortable. The federal minimum wage and and the the minimum wage in many states across the country is $7.25 an hour. You know, you don't come close to the federal poverty level, which is too low anyway, working full-time at $7.25 an hour. And, and yet I'm, I'm concerned that even if we were to adopt a federal $15 an hour minimum wage, that only applies to people who actually have jobs and are earning wages. And, you know, as the availability mm-hmm. of jobs shrinks, doesn't matter how much they pay. Right. That's a good point, which so, is, uh, you, you know, know, Yang's argument for UBI. I'm sorry, I cut you off, Joe. No, you were starting. Go ahead. <laughs> um, which is Yang's argument for UBI. Um and we may get to that point, and that might be the solution. I, I will say that today, I think we could have full employment pretty easily. When you look at understaffed child care centers, when you look at, you know, teachers who are doing the work of four people, I think we need to 
invest more in employing people at really good wages in jobs that matter. And we can do that. We can, we can do that for quite some time. You know, there's, there's uh, an interesting aspect of this, this pandemic and subsequent relief efforts. We've uh, seen pretty much regular folks getting uh, checks starting with the $1,200 check and the $600 check. Now we're looking at a $1,400 check for most people. Um, is that... Are, are you thinking that somehow these relief efforts might be paving the way toward acceptance of the idea of a UBI? That's an interesting thought. Um, I think that yeah, I think I think maybe it is. Um, I There's think never that, been a time in my mm-hmm. lifetime, which is becoming more and more considerable every day, um, <laughs> where the government has just issued checks to people. Yes. Right, but but it we're really seeing that it is what's necessary. Um, you know, because. It's the only way, you know, it's not that we believe sort of in huge government or that the government should be involved in everything, but it's it's what organizes us, you know, and we have to use the tools that we have. And if we want things to be fair and just, it, it has to come from the top. Yeah, I I agree. I just wonder if in this particular instance we aren't seeing the old adage played out that uh, necessity is the mother of invention. You know, we we do it here because it's an emergency, Mm -hmm. but since we did it, maybe, maybe there's a way to look at this kind of a program or this kind of approach at leveling the playing field um, and, and and maybe supporting uh, relief programs we've had in the past that have been uh, somewhat maligned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, when you look at direct aid that the government gives to people in poverty, programs like SNAP, commonly yeah. known as food stamps, um, WIC, which is the nutritional program for pregnant women and young children, they really work. They have great outcomes. People are healthier, and when people are healthier, the government saves money in the long run. But these programs always have to fight for every dollar. They're well, always the, under attack. Yeah, and the attacks are, are basically that these are people who uh, don't want to work and are uh, mm-hmm. you know, somehow benefiting from the labors of others. But we're going to end up in a situation where there are a lot more people who aren't working. Right, and again, you can work and be in poverty. Right, and also, you know, the fact is that, um, you know, most people who are getting benefits are also paying taxes. And I think one of the real laws sort of in the way that we all talk about support for individuals 
is that somehow somebody else is getting my money, right? right? We all pay taxes. And so isn't the idea of taxes that it supports everybody? You know what I mean? But, but still people say, well, I don't want my tax dollars to go towards that. And, and you know, I think we are comfortable with the fact that children in our country don't have enough to eat. You know, that there's actually debate in Congress about whether or not we should forgive lunch debt. You know, our priorities are just wrong. And, you know, I, I feel like we just need to find different ways to, to talk about it. Um, you know, and I think what you sort of brought up before about the idea of what people think of people in poverty, that's, you know, the biggest part of really what we wanted to talk about in our book. You know, the face of American poverty, if you're looking just at the numbers, it's a white child. And that's not what you see portrayed in the media. No, that's true. It's in fact the the numbers are really staggering, and and we really haven't had time to uh, get into all the numbers that are laid out in the book. It's um, and uh, it's it's been described as uh, providing a roadmap to a better America. The book is called "Broke in America: Seeing, Understanding, and Ending U.S. Poverty." It's uh, written by Joanne Goldblum and Colleen Shaddix. And we're getting uh, dangerously close to the end of our time, and I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about about the book and the two of you and and uh, your work, past, present, and future. Um, is is there a website for the book? There is indeed. It is brokeinamerica.net. And you can also read about my friend Joanne Goldblum's great work at nationaldiaperbanknetwork.org. Any uh, any final She's thoughts, right. Colleen, uh, Joanne? Well, th- you know, thank you for having us. Um, we really appreciate it, and we, you know, really just appreciate the opportunity to talk about the realities of poverty in the United States. So we really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us about it. Well, thank Yes, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both, and uh, keep up the good work. <laughs> we'll try. Right. Have a great day. Okay, take care. <laughs> Once again, that was uh, the co-authors of a book, called Broke in America, Seeing, Understanding, and Ending U.S. Poverty. Joanne Goldblum is CEO and founder of the National Diaper Bank Network. And um, 
and and a number of other accomplishments as well. Colleen Shaddix is a print and radio journalist and activist. Her uh, publication credits include the New York Times, the Washington Post, NPR, and many, many more. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, our voices radio, WFOVLP in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And uh, next hour, we're going to take a look at the big game this weekend with uh, sportscaster and writer uh, Tom Skinner. He's going to be joining me by phone, and we'll preview the uh, weekend's festivities and, uh, and more, I would imagine. It's always fun with Tom. We'll be back. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported.
Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner program.com. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. I've uh, been criticized in the newspapers for the big parties and the uh, state dinners. Now we've got to cut down and economy starts at home. Uh, all right, if you say so. Oh, here they are. All right, uh, gentlemen, uh, let us be seated. Uh, Mr. Adenauer, if uh, you will sit uh, next to your uh, friend, Mr. De Gaulle. And uh, Mr. Castro, if you will sit here next to your friend, Mr. Khrushchev. Mr. Nasha, if you will sit here next to uh, Mr. Ben-Gurion. I'm... I'm, uh, I'm sh- I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Nkrumah, if you will sit in between Mr. Ben-Gurion and Mr. Nasha, then uh, you can uh, turn either way. Now, uh, Mr. Uh, Shankai Shek, would you uh, please uh, sit there beside Mr. Khrushchev? Oh, good. Now, uh, before we get down to the business at hand, I think lunch would be in order. Now, I thought that instead of the uh, formal food we usually serve here, that we would have a uh, typical American uh, businessman's lunch. So I'm going to send down to the delicatessen store for uh, some sandwiches. Well, how does that uh, how does that strike you, gentlemen? Uh, 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 Mr. Khrushchev, Mr. Khrushchev, would you? Uh, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but would you mind uh, just taking your shoe off the table? Now, I think uh, I'll have a uh, peanut butter and jelly on whole wheat with a uh, side order of a coleslaw and a hot fudge uh, sundae. Uh, Mr. De Gaulle? Yuck. I would like to have dove under glass. Well, I'm uh, sorry, General, but uh, we're only having sandwiches today. Then could I have a dove under glass sandwich? All right, uh, Pierre, a uh, chicken salad on white for the General. Uh, Mr. Uh, Shankai Shek. Uh, club sandwich would be fine. Thank you so much. Would you like it with a, a little mayo? Please, not to mention that name. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Mr. Uh, Nasser. I'll have a hot pastrami sandwich. I can never get it at home. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of bread? White toast with lettuce and uh, mayonnaise. Uh, Mr. Nasser. What do you want, Ben-Gurion? Look, I, I know we don't get along. You never listen to me. Now you're fooling around with rockets. But this time, please listen. Pastrami don't go with white bread and lettuce and mayonnaise. <laughs> Have that 
on rye bread with mustard and a glass tea, you'll enjoy. I think that uh, I think that Mr. Uh, ben Gurion has a point there. All right, All right. I, I'll, I'll take a chance. Good boy. And if you like pastrami, next time you're in my neighborhood, drop into the house. My wife makes like a filter fish. It melts in your mouth. We'll have to get together, Mr. Ben Gurion. My name is Ben Gurion. You can call me Ben. My name is Abdul Nasser. You can call me Abe. <laughs> Good. Now, uh, fine. Mr. Uh, Mr. Khrushchev. Oh, you don't have to order special for me. I'll have a bite of everybody else's. <laughs> All right, uh, Mr. Uh, Adenauer. You have one sandwich here in America I love. I have a Western sandwich. If Adenauer has a Western sandwich, then I'll have an Eastern sandwich. There is uh, no Eastern sandwich. Then I want the Eastern portion of his Western sandwich. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm uh, sure I'm sure we can uh, negotiate on that subject. Uh, Mr. Castro. No pregunte qué su patria puede hacer para usted. Pero pregunte qué usted puede hacer para su patria. I have a chicken sandwich with a live chicken. Well, uh, well, that leaves uh, Mr. N. Krumah. What will you have, sir? I'll have some watermelon. Don't put me on, Mr. Nagrumah. <laughs> and egg sandwich and a coke and I guess a bowl of borscht okay okay uh, Pierre uh, put the rush on it well, gentlemen that was a uh, pleasant lunch now uh, under discussion today will be nuclear disarmament followed by the UN bond issue and a uh, matter of the trade agreements now first there is a most important matter to settle uh, Mr. Gall, yours was the chicken salad and coffee. That's a dollar forty. <laughs> this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Piece of crumb, gonna put me in the mood. And when it comes to getting right. 
getting around Size it's where it's at You ladies know what I'm talking about The ride is long and fat That ain't no Cadillac Don't try to fool me Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 